Volume One, Chapter Fifteen of Autobiography of a Seaman by Thomas Cochrane. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. Chapter Fifteen, Cruise of the Imperieuse Continued. Shortly after Lord Collingwood's arrival at Gibraltar, his lordship ran down to Cadiz to watch events and wait instructions from the government. On the 18th of June, the Imperius sailed from Gibraltar to join Lord Collingwood's fleet before Cadiz, and on the 21st was ordered by his lordship to cruise in the Mediterranean, and render every possible assistance to the Spaniards against the French. On the 22nd, we returned to Gibraltar for our prize tender, which had been fitted as a gunboat and manned with 20 men under the command of a lieutenant. At daylight on the 23rd, we passed close to Almeria, with English and Spanish colours flying at the main, and on the evening of the 25th came to an anchor in the outer road of Cartagena. On the following morning, a number of Spanish officers came off to bid us welcome, and at noon we paid a visit to the governor, by whom, as well as by the populace, we were received with every mark of friendship, notwithstanding our recent hostile visits in the vicinity. Indeed, our whole passage along the coast was one continued expression of good feeling. On the 2nd of July, the Imperius arrived off Majorca. The inhabitants were at first shy, apparently fearing some deception, but as we were bearers of the good news that the English and Spaniards were now friends, confidence was soon restored and presents of all kinds were sent off to the ship, payment being resolutely refused. We had also the satisfaction of here recovering our lost midshipman, Harrison, and the late Lord Napier, who, whilst in the charge of prizes, had been taken and carried into Port Mahon. On the 5th, the Imperius passed close to Barcelona, and hoisting English and Spanish colours at the main, fired a salute of 21 guns. The French, who were in possession of the place, to our great amusement, resented the affront by firing at us from all their batteries. But their shot fell short. Footnote. Barcelona had been seized by General Duhesme just before Bonaparte announced his intention of placing his brother on the throne of Spain. Having arrived in the vicinity of the city on the 15th of February, he requested permission to halt and refresh his troops for a few days before going on to Valencia. The gates were forthwith opened, and the French treated as friends and allies. On the 16th, the Generale was beat, as though they were about to proceed on their march, and the townspeople came out to bid them farewell. To the surprise of the latter, the French general ordered one part of his force to the citadel and the other to Fort Monjou, possessing himself of both. Pampeluna was occupied on the same day by similar treachery. Footnote ends. We could distinctly see the inhabitants crowding the housetops and public places of the city by thousands, and the French cavalry and infantry meanwhile patrolling the streets. Knowing that the French held their own with difficulty, especially in the adjacent towns, we again hove to and displayed English colours over French, and then Spanish over French, firing an additional salute, which increased the cannonade from the batteries, but to no purpose. We then bore up along the coast, and when clear of the enemy's lines, a number of boats came off complaining bitterly of the French troops who were burning their towns on the least resistance, or even pretended resistance, and were permitted by their officers to plunder and kill the inhabitants with impunity. Perhaps it would be more in accordance with military justice to say that, with the ideas of equality and fraternity then prevalent amongst the soldiers, their officers had no control over them. On the 6th, the Imperius came to anchor between the towns of Blaines and Mataro, in nearly the same position as that taken up on the last cruise. Great numbers of people came off, 
and the frigate was speedily filled with visitors of both sexes, bringing with them all kinds of presents, being most politely oblivious of all the mischief we had been effecting in their vicinity for the months past. On the 7th, after paying a visit to Blaine's, we got under way, the Spaniards having sent us word that the French had entered the town of Mataro, at the same time requesting our cooperation against them. On the 8th, we were becalmed close to several villages, one of which had been nearly destroyed by the French on pretence of some trifling resistance. A deputation from the inhabitants of one village came off and informed us that their church had been plundered of everything, and that 45 houses had been burned to the ground. A wretched policy, truly, and one which did the French great harm by the animosity thus created amongst the people who were treated as rebels, rather than in the light of honourable adversaries. The Imperius could effect nothing against the French in Mataro, from its unassailable position, but having received intelligence that a considerable force under General de Hesme was advancing towards Barcelona, it occurred to me that their progress might be checked. Landing, accordingly, with a party of seamen, we blew down the overhanging rocks, and destroyed the bridges so effectually as to prevent the passage either of cavalry or artillery, at the same time pointing out to the Spaniards how they might impede the enemy's movements elsewhere along the coast by cutting up the roads, an operation on which they entered with great alacrity, after being shown how to set about their work. The nature of these operations will be readily comprehended by the statement that a considerable portion of the main road ran along the face of the precipitous rocks nearest the sea. By blowing up the roads themselves in some places, and the overhanging rocks in others, so as to bury the road beneath the debris, it was rendered impassable for cavalry or artillery, whilst removal of the obstructions within reasonable time was out of the question. Indeed, so long as the frigate remained in the vicinity, impossible as any operation of the kind would have been within reach of our guns. Having effected all the damage possible, and there being no beneficial end to be answered by longer stay in the vicinity of Mataro, we again made sail, and on the 17th the Imperieuse arrived at Port Mann, where we found a squadron embarking Spanish troops for Catalonia, the crews of the six ships of line in harbour taking their places in manning the batteries. On the 19th the troops sailed under convoy of some English frigates, as did others destined for Tortosa. Having filled up with provisions and water, we quitted Port Mann for another cruise on the Spanish coast, and on the 22nd were close to San Felin, when the whole of the convoy entered the harbour to the great delight of the inhabitants, who reported that, despite the obstacles created, the French had, in the absence of the Imperius, forced the pass from Mataro and marched for Girona, to which place the Spanish troops just disembarked were next day dispatched, together with 1,200 militia, raised from amongst the peasantry in the neighbourhood. Heavy firing was heard shortly afterwards in the interior, and at night it was ascertained that the French had made an attack on Hostel Rich and were beaten back. This place was about nine miles from San Felin. On the 24th, we again anchored about four miles from Mataro, and there learned the mode in which the French had surmounted the obstacles interposed by the Spaniards in cutting up the roads, viz. by compelling the inhabitants to fill up the gaps with everything movable, even their agricultural implements, furniture, and clothes. After this, the French, by way of deterring the Spaniards from again interfering with the highways, sacked and burned all the dwelling houses in the neighbourhood. Taking a party of marines on shore, we again blew up additional portions of the road to the eastward, and as the gaps made on our last visit had been chiefly filled up with wood and other inflammable articles just mentioned, we set fire to them, and thus not only renewed the obstacles, but created fresh ones, in the assurance that, as everything movable was now destroyed, the obstruction must become permanent. 
Whilst this was going on, the seamen and marines of the Imperieuse destroyed a battery completed by the French and threw over the cliff the four brass 24-pounders. These were, next day, recovered. On the 26th, we dropped down to the town of Carnet and embarked some more brass guns, which the enemy had placed in position on the top of a high cliff. These guns were got on board by means of horses carried from the frigate to the cliff, one end being made fast to the masthead. By the application of the capstan and tackles, the guns were thus hopped on board. After these had been secured, I took a party of seamen and marines on shore, and broke down, or blew up, the road in six different places. On paying a visit to the town, there was scarcely a house which the French had not sacked, carrying off everything that was valuable, and wantonly destroying the remainder. The inhabitants were in a miserable condition. The two next days were employed in blowing down rocks, and otherwise destroying roads in every direction which the French were likely to take, the people aiding heart and soul, anxiously listening to every suggestion for retarding the enemy's movements, and evincing the greatest alacrity to put them in practice. In short, I had taken on myself the duties of an engineer officer, though occupation of this kind was perhaps out of my sphere as a commander of a frigate, and there is no doubt that I might have better consulted my personal interests by looking after prizes at sea, for except from Lord Collingwood, not so much as an acknowledgment of my persevering exertions was vouchsafed. I was, however, indignant at seeing the wanton devastation committed by a military power pretending to high notions of civilization, and on that account spared no pains to instruct the persecuted inhabitants how to turn the tables on their spoilers, making, as throughout life I have ever done, common cause with the oppressed. Having effected all the mischief possible, we weighed for Mongat, ten miles from Barcelona, and anchored off the place at sunset. I had previously received intelligence that General de Hesme was approaching Barcelona with a strong force to relieve the French garrison in possession, and my object was to destroy the fort at Mongat before de Hesme's force came up. For this, however, we were too late, the advance guard having occupied the fort before our arrival. The people, however, came off with an assurance that, if we would attack the French, 800 Spaniards were ready to assist us. As the destruction of the fort was my principal object, I at once assented, and we commenced blowing up the road between Barcelona and Mongat, so that the communication on that side was effectively cut off, whilst the guns of General de Hesney's force were rendered immovable on the other. These he afterwards abandoned. On the 30th it fell calm, and having weighed anchor, we drifted down as far as Mataro, but too distant from the shore to attempt anything. Having received intelligence of the continued advance of General de Hesme, we again returned and anchored within five miles of Mongat, the inhabitants coming off to beg for assistance, as the French in the fort were keeping up a constant fire on their party in the woods, though without venturing to dislodge them. It is perhaps here necessary to explain that General de Hesme had, on the 26th of July, been compelled by a well-executed movement on the part of the Count de Caldags to raise the siege of Girona, in which he had been employed for upwards of a fortnight, his force being driven to Saria, where they were protected by their cavalry. During the night, they separated into two divisions, one retreating toward Figueras, and the other in the direction of Barcelona. It was to the latter division that my attention was directed. To reach Barcelona with heavy guns, the enemy must of necessity proceed by way of Mongat, the castle or fort of which place commanded a pass on their way. By breaking up the roads, the passage of the guns was impeded, as has been described, but as the French had possession of the castle, it was essential that they should be dislodged as speedily as possible. 
the Spanish militia, being eager to second our efforts, I determined to make the attack forthwith. At 8am on the 31st, the Imperieuse got under way and stood towards the castle, whilst I landed in the gig and mounted the hills overhanging the position for the purpose of reconnoitring. Finding an attack practicable, I returned on board and we cleared for action. The Spaniards, seeing the Imperieuse stand in and being eager for the onset, gallantly dashed up a hill where the French had established an outpost and either killed or took the whole prisoners, upon which the garrison in the fort opened a heavy fire to dislodge the victorious Spaniards, but without effect. By this time I had got the Imperieuse well in and had given the castle a couple of well-directed broadsides when the enemy hung out flags of truce. On this I landed with a party of marines, but the exasperated Spaniards, elated by their recent victory, paid no attention to the flags of truce, and were advancing up the hill to storm the place, the French still firing to keep them in check. I was immediately conducted to the castle, where the French troops were drawn up on each side of the gate. On entering, the commandant requested me not to allow the peasantry to follow, as they would only surrender to me, and not to the Spaniards, of whose vengeance they were evidently afraid. After giving the commandant a lecture on the barbarities that had been committed on the coast, and pointing out the folly of such a course, insomuch as, had his troops fallen into the hands of the Spanish peasantry, not a man would have escaped with his life, I acceded to the request to surrender to us alone, and promised the escort of our marines to the frigate. The commandant then gave me his sword, and his troops forthwith laid down their arms. We had, however, even after this surrender, some trouble in keeping out the irritated Spaniards, who were actuated rather by the excitement of vengeance than by the rules of war. And it was not without a few blows and forcing some of the assailants over the parapet that we succeeded in keeping them off. The Spaniards were with some difficulty made to understand that, however exasperated they might be at the conduct of the French, the latter were British prisoners, and not a hair of their heads should be hurt. When we were somewhat assured of their safety, the prisoners were marched down to the boats, and glad enough they were to get there, for the Spaniards accompanied them with volleys of abuse, declaring that they might thank the English for their lives, which, had the Spanish party succeeded in storming the fort, should have been sacrificed. What became of the men forming the captured outpost, I never knew, and was not anxious to inquire. Having placed the troops on board, we took off four brass field pieces with their appendages, and threw the iron guns over the parapet, after which the Spanish were allowed to ransack the fort. At 6pm, we laid a train to the French ammunition, and soon after, the hole blew up. Spanish colours were then hoisted on the ruins, amidst the hearty cheers of thousands with arms in their hands, who had by this time flocked to the spot, though when we landed, not a single inhabitant was to be seen. Soon after we gained possession, men, women and children came from their hiding places in abundance, expressing grateful satisfaction at the capture of the enemy. It would have been well if the leaders of the French army in other parts of Spain could have seen the exasperation produced by the barbarous propensities of these detachments of troops, who appeared to be under no moral discipline. Except perhaps in actual fight, their officers had no control over them, so that their path was marked by excess of every kind. This is a fatal mistake in armies, as the French afterwards found elsewhere. It degrades war into extermination. Our prisoners did not even deny that the Spaniards would only have exercised a just retaliation by emoliating them, but contented themselves by saying that they would never have given in to the Spaniards whilst a man remained alive. After we had blown up the castle, the Cambrian arrived, and to her, by permission of her captain, 
we transferred half our prisoners on the following morning we sailed from mongat having first presented the chief commanding the spaniards with two of the field pieces taken the day before together with a sufficient supply of powder and ammunition general de hesme reached barcelona by making a detour into the interior after an absence of about a month during which the destruction of the roads had been going on he was highly exasperated with the unfortunate inhabitants though for no better reason than that all his plans had been thwarted and pointing the guns of the citadel on the town he threatened it with destruction unless his force was supplied with twelve thousand rations daily with wine and brandy in proportion following up this injustice by seizing the most respectable inhabitants for the purpose of extorting ransoms for their liberation great credit is due to the catalans for the spirit thus manifested at a time when all the more important strongholds of catalonia were in the hands of the enemy i say catalonia as being concerned with that province only though there was reason to know that the like patriotism was manifested in the western provinces though from the preponderance of the enemy with less effect even when duhesme had reached barcelona he had great difficulty in maintaining himself as the activity of the patriots in cutting off his supplies by land was worthy of their cause and the imperious and other english vessels of war took care that he got no supplies by sea on the thirty first of july i addressed the subjoined dispatch to lord collingwood dispatch begins hms imperius off mongat catalonia thirty one july eighteen o eight my lord the castle of mongat an important post completely commanding a pass on the road from girona to barcelona which the french are now besieging and the only post between these towns occupied by the enemy surrendered this morning to his majesty's ship under my command the spanish militia behaved admirably in carrying an outpost on a neighbouring hill lieutenant hoare of the marines took possession of the castle which by means of powder is now levelled with the ground and the pending rocks are blown down into the road which in many other places is also rendered impossible to artillery without a very heavy loss of men if the french resolve to repair them i enclose to your lordship a list of the prisoners and of the material part of the military stores all of which that could be useful to the spaniards have been delivered to them i have the honour etc cochrane the right honourable lord collingwood dispatch ends having effected everything possible at mongat we made sail on the fourth of august and anchored off san felin where whilst the ship was employed in filling up water i rode five miles into the country to inspect a battery which the spaniards had erected to prevent the french from marching on the town it was situated on an eminence commanding the road to girona and mataro and was completely surrounded by high trees so as not to be visible from the road if properly defended it would have presented a formidable obstacle but as it was the french infantry would have taken it in a few minutes i gave the spaniards instructions how to strengthen the position but as they told me they could in a short time collect three thousand armed peasantry i bid them rather rely on these by maintaining a guerrilla warfare which if conducted with their usual judgment and activity would harass the enemy more than the battery the catalans made capital guerrilla troops possessing considerable skill in the use of their weapons though previously untrained a character for turbulence was often attributed to them but in a country groaning under priestcraft and bad government the sturdy spirit of independence which prompted them to set the example of heroic defence of their country might be either mistakenly or purposely the latter the more probable set down for discontent and sedition
at any rate the descendants of men who in a former age formed the outposts of the christian world against mohammedism in no way disgraced their ancestors and became in the end the terror of their enemies one quality they pre-eminently possess viz patience and endurance under privation and this added to their hardy habits and adventurous disposition contributed to form an enemy not to be despised the less so that they were in every way disposed to repay the barbarities of the french with interest at eight a m on the sixth the imperieuse got under sail from san felin and passing close to palamos arrived in the afternoon at rosas where we found the montaigne and hind to the latter of which we transferred the prisoners the hind was bound for port man with the governor of figueras and his family who had to be escorted to the ship by the marines of the montague in order to protect them from popular vengeance so exasperated were the spaniards on account of the governor's cowardice or treachery in allowing the french to enter the fortress he had commanded though from its position and strength he could easily have held out the fortress of figueras was about twelve miles from rosas and was a place of amazing strength having been constructed for the defence of one of the principal passes on the borders of spain and being well garrisoned and provisioned it ought certainly to have withstood a considerable force the rosas people had a right to be indignant at its pusillanimous surrender for not only did this expose their town but it formed a marked contrast to one of their own exploits when being attacked by a large french force they drove them back with the loss of three hundred men on the seventh we filled up with water at a wretched place on the opposite side of the bay of rosas and on the eighth sailed for san felin where we arrived on the ninth on the tenth we were again off to barcelona when a flag of truce was sent by the french to ask what had become of the troops we had taken at mongat on the eleventh we bore up for san felin and were joined by our gunboat after which we proceeded to see what was being done on the french coast and bore up for marseilles my object in proceeding in this direction was that as the french troops kept out of our reach there was no beneficial object to be gained by remaining on the spanish coast and it occurred to me that by giving the french in the neighbourhood of marseilles a taste of the evils they were inflicting on their spanish neighbours it would be possible to create an amount of alarm which would have the effect of diverting troops intended for catalonia by the necessity of remaining to guard their own seaboard it is wonderful what an amount of terrorism a small frigate is able to inspire on an enemy's coast actions between line of battleships are no doubt very imposing but for real effect i would prefer a score or two of small vessels well handled to any fleet of line of battleships on the fifteenth we stood into the bay of marseilles and anchored off the mouth of the rhone which was distant about eight miles sent the gunboat in chase of a small vessel but the crew ran her on shore and escaped the gunboat burned her and joined us again on the following morning when we anchored abreast of a telegraph employed in signalling our appearance on the coast here was a hint the beneficial nature of which could not be doubted and at once i decided on destroying the enemy's communication along shore as a commencement this telegraph was demolished without opposition on the sixteenth sent the gunboat in chase of two vessels close to sete they escaped but she brought back a boat with four men who gave such information as induced me to send her on a cruise on the seventeenth there being nothing in sight we made preparation for destroying the signal station on the island of bonny which commands the entrance to the rhone landing ninety men in the boats we were just in time to see the troops in charge of the station abandon it 
and having possessed ourselves of the signals we blew up the place and returned to the ship we then got under way and by four o'clock were close to montpelier firing on a fort as we passed perceiving another signal station in the vicinity we again out boats and proceeded to destroy it but found this not so easy a matter as on the last occasion for we had two rivers to ford each mid-leg in mud and had moreover to encounter a fire of musketry but at a distance which did no harm so that with some difficulty we accomplished our object this station was called Frontiguan, the last one blown up being named la pinide at eight p m we returned to the imperieuse with no other damage than being thoroughly encased in mud in the night we ran out about ten miles having no confidence in the anchorage and at daylight on the nineteenth again went in shore carefully feeling our way by the lead which showed us that the soundings were highly dangerous we nevertheless came to an anchor off a place called dummet where we again out boats and destroyed another signal tower together with four houses connected with it at two p m we got under sail and bore up joining the gunboat to leeward supplying her with a new yard and bowsprit her former spars being carried away we sent her in shore on the twenty first it fell so calm that the imperious had to be brought to an anchor in gulf dummet at three a m the boats were manned to destroy a building which we had been informed was a custom house this having been set fire to they returned on board and were shortly afterwards dispatched to destroy another signal station but as troops were now perceived on the lookout it was not worth while to risk the men and the boats were recalled we then got under sail passing once more close to montpelier and Sitter, where we again joined the gunboat and stood in the bay of perpignan forming the western portion of marseilles bay where we destroyed another signal station called canet at three a m on the twenty fourth the morning still being dark we manned three boats to destroy another signal station called saint maguire about three miles distant and at about half past four when within ten yards of the beach were saluted by two heavy guns with grape which passing over the boats luckily did no damage fearing an ambuscade we pulled out of reach of musketry but calculating that the french would not venture far in the dark my favourite time for attacks of any kind instead of returning to the ship we made straight for the signal station and blew it up amidst a dropping fire of musketry which as we could not be distinguished failed in its direction and consequently did no harm having completed our work we next marched along the beach in line towards a battery observed on the previous evening skirmishing as we proceeded our boats meanwhile covering us with their nine pounders the french also keeping up a constant fire with their guns but in a wrong direction on storming the battery with the usual british cheer the enemy rushed out in an opposite direction firing as they went but without effect we then took possession of two brass twenty-four pounders but whilst making preparations to get them off were alarmed by recall guns from the frigate from the masthead of which as day was now beginning to break a force of cavalry had been seen making for us over the crest of a hill we had already had one narrow escape for on taking possession of the battery it was found that the magazine was prepared for blowing us up but fortunately in the hurry of its late occupants to escape the match had not caught fire there was however now no time to be lost so placing a barrel of powder in each gun and setting fire to the matches both were blown up as was also the battery itself by lighting the match attached to the magazine this somewhat staggered the cavalry in pursuit but they soon recovered and some smart skirmishing took place on our retreat to the boats which all the time maintained a well-directed fire on the enemy keeping them in check so that we got clear off with the loss of one seaman only 
a gallant fellow named hogan who was blown up and terribly shattered in consequence of a cartouche box buckled round his waist having exploded while setting fire to the trains we otherwise arrived safe on board about seven a m somewhat fatigued by the night's adventure we now got under sail passing close to perpignan and were fired upon from point vendra where a french brig of war lay at anchor under the fortifications and therefore was too well protected to be safely interfered with in this cruise against the french signal stations the precaution of obtaining their signal books before destroying the semaphores was adopted and in order to make the enemy believe that the books were also destroyed all the papers found were scattered about in a half-burned condition the trick was successful and the french authorities considering that the signal books had been destroyed also did not deem it necessary to alter their signals which were forwarded by me to lord collingwood who was thus informed by the french semaphores when re-established of all the movements of their own ships as well as the british ships from the promontory of italy northward end of chapter fifteen recording by timothy ferguson gold coast australia